My name is Matt. If you're new here with us, welcome. Uh, Glad to have you here. As Tim said, we are going to uh, turn our attention to uh, the Word of God. Uh, But just before we get there, uh, I thought it would be helpful to give you a bit of a sort of a snapshot of our plans uh, for the fall uh, here at Tri-City Church uh, in terms of our Sundays. So what's going to be going on Sundays at Tri-City Church, normally at this time of year, uh, we'd, be, we'd be saying, hey, we're going to go back to three gatherings. Uh, after much uh, discussion and prayer and consideration, we are going to do this instead, which is to stay at two gatherings. You can put it up there, Joseph. There it is. 9 a.m. and 10.45. So that's a little bit of a change uh, from what we'll be doing in the summer. Uh, we were doing 10.30. We're just shifting it a little. So why two gatherings? Uh, let me just say this at the beginning. Uh, if God continues to give growth, we're going to go to three or four. I don't have to go that much. But we're going to do whatever is necessary to get people in the, in the building so they can connect with God. That's the whole purpose, that people would meet Jesus. Uh, but we, we love what's going on here in terms of the dynamic of having two gatherings and having some lobby time in the middle. Uh, that gives us, the whole church, an opportunity to connect, sort of as one is going, the other is coming. Uh, it also gives us an opportunity to do some community things. Uh, for example, during that time, uh, we're going to have a Youth Connect and Youth Bible Study alternating weeks. Uh, we used to do Youth Connect, and if you're wondering what it is, we have a slide that perfectly encapsulates it. it it's, it's this, it's cereal. Uh, that's the whole spiritual focus of the time is cereal, sugar cereal. Uh, it's going to be in the activity room. It's really just an opportunity uh, for the youth to come together, grades 6 to 12, and just hang out and talk with each other. And then on the other weeks, there will be youth Bible study, which we hope all the youth will sign up. So while the youth are doing that, we also as a church can connect in the lobby. Uh, we're, ex- we're extending it a little bit. So 1045 gives us a bit more time in between. So hopefully we're not as kind of rushed in our gathering. Hopefully the parking lot can clear out a bit and give us a chance to connect. And we really love uh, being, being able to worship together in a, in a full room. So if the numbers mean that we need to blow everything up and go to three, we're gonna do that, but that's gonna be our plan. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is uh, we're adding in two potential blocks for classes. So uh, we're not doing every, two classes every week, but we have the option. Uh, October 2nd, we're gonna start a new class, Foundations which is just basically foundations of the Christian faith. So whether you're, you're new to Christ or thinking about Christianity, a great class for you to take. Uh, starts on October 2nd, but we're going to do other classes. And depending on the class, some will do kind of after, starting at 12 with some lunch. Others will do during the second. So if you have questions, please come uh, let me know. But we're excited for the opportunities to gather, uh, to worship together, and to sit under the teaching of God's word, which we're going to do right now. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Lord God, we are so thankful for an opportunity to gather here together. Thankful, Lord, uh, for the kids that are able to to join us. Lord, our our hope and prayer is that um, every generation within the church, Lord, is growing in faith. And Lord, it's a delight to be able to actually worship you together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be moving in us already, preparing our hearts and minds to receive uh, what is written here in uh, in the book of Luke and, and what you want for each one of us. So help us to be attentive to that. Uh, Lord, please use me in spite of my sin uh, to speak the words that be most helpful for your people. And I do pray, Lord, for a great start to the fall. Lord, I do pray that we would prioritize the things of God. As Tim was saying, get into groups, uh, plug into service, Lord, uh, not just because it's a good thing to check off on our list, but because we trust that as we actually are the church together, we will grow in very good ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today uh, we arrive at the end of our series that has been going on since Easter, 
uh, called Things Jesus Said. It's taken us through four chapters of the book of Luke, which means we've been looking at four chapters of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, we've seen him do a lot of amazing things. As always happens, you're reading through the Gospels, miracles, healings, casting out demons. But our focus has been on the things that Jesus said. His parables, stories, his teachings, and sometimes we've looked at uh, the answers that Jesus has given to questions that have been asked of him. And that's, that's where our text begins today. The Pharisees are once again asking Jesus a question. Those are the, the religious leaders in the day. Uh, normally when the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question, it's usually because they want to trip him up. Okay, it's usually not from great motives. They, they want to trap him. They want to make him look foolish in some way. It never happens, but that's what they want to do. Uh, th today, though, the, the question, I think, seems genuine. Because what they're asking is something that everyone was wondering about. So it's kind of a longer text today. We're going to go through it in, in chunks. But here's just the first verse where we get the question itself. Verse 20, uh, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. That's the question. Jesus is there. He comes, the question is, Jesus, when will the kingdom of God be here? So Jesus is going to answer, but before we get there, we should make sure we're clear on, like, what, what does this mean? What exactly is the kingdom of God? And so uh, there's a very concise definition that is, is, I think, most helpful. This is from Graham Goldsworthy. He says, the kingdom of God is, is basically this, God's people in God's place under God's rule. Wherever those conditions exist, that, that is, you'll find the kingdom of God. Now, you're not going to see this in our text per se, but you do see it throughout the Bible. In fact, you see very clear examples of this. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. Uh, the first and best example is, of course, the Garden of Eden. They were Adam and Eve, clearly God's people, clearly in God's place, uh, being ruled over completely by God. It was, it was the perfect manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And of course, they, they wrecked it, right? They ruined it, turned their backs on God, disobeyed him and everything fell apart. They were cast out of the garden. But that didn't mean that God stopped being king. It just meant that their experience of the kingdom, the, the impact of his authority on their lives was diminished as sin began to take root in their heart and in the, in the world. So that was one example. Another example that's just helpful, I think, is the kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament. That was uh, God's people, the Israelites, uh, God's chosen king, David. God's laws governed the people. They had a strong national identity, military power, wealth. They were the envy of the nations. It was a less perfect example of God's kingdom, but that, that again was an example of what it looks like to the kingdom of God, what it can be here on earth. And of course, they also wrecked that uh, in a very similar way. They turned their back on God. They worshiped false idols. They disobeyed. And so God allowed the kingdom to be conquered. But when it was conquered, in fact, even just before it was conquered, the prophets of God promised the people, look, one day the kingdom would return. There will be a restored, renewed kingdom in time. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God's people, in particular the religious leaders, they thought a lot about what this kingdom would be like. And they thought they had it nailed down. They figured, look, it's going to be like it was with King David. Because that was the golden age of God's people, the golden age of Israel. That's what they were looking forward to. A strong king, strong national identity, strong army. They'd be able to push back all of their oppressors, in particular the Romans. So the only question they had was when. 
Like, when is this going to happen? They like to talk about it a lot. So that's what they asked Jesus. When will the kingdom of God be here? Now, Jesus was more than ready uh, for this question. Okay, they didn't realize it, but they weren't just asking some rabbi about his thoughts about the kingdom of God. They were asking the king about his kingdom. And so Jesus was ready. This was like asking Michael Jordan if he had any thoughts about how the, you know, the game of basketball should be played, right? Or asking Bob Ross how you should paint a landscape. What's the right tree? They know, okay? Jesus is totally ready. This is in his wheelhouse. And so in our passage, he basically takes them to school in terms of what is the kingdom of God? What's the right understanding and what should we be expecting? So three, three key aspects of the kingdom is what we get. That's going to be our, our sermon, three points. They were essential for them back there and essential for us today. So here's the first one. The kingdom of God is already here. Let's look at our first couple of verses again. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, you can imagine there'd be confusion right away. It's in the midst of you. It's, it's here now is what he's saying. If there was one thing that the people at the time were clear about, it's that they were not living in the kingdom of God. I mean, they were living in occupied territory. They, they, the Romans ruled with an iron fist, the whole Mediterranean area. They probably had to pass a checkpoint, a Roman checkpoint, just to get to hear Jesus. Everyone was always worried about if they had enough taxes to pay the Romans. Israel had no king, no army. I mean, God's kingdom very clearly was long gone. They were not, they were not living in the midst of God's kingdom, right? I mean, we, we, I think, can identify with that very clearly because the same is true for us. Not many of us have the sense that we're living in, in God's kingdom. I mean, if you look at our world, it's filled with ungodliness. Human governments rule without any regard for God or his laws. Our Canadian government often intentionally opposes God's word. Israel is a nation, but that, that's all it is, right? It's a nation like any other nation on this earth. It's not the kingdom come to earth. Jesus himself is, is denigrated, ridiculed, forgotten the world over. So our reaction to hearing this would probably be the same, right? Like, what do you, Jesus, what do you mean that we're in the midst of God's kingdom or God's kingdom is here? How, how does that make any sense? Well, we get a clue uh, in what Jesus tells them not to expect. Okay, look again at our verses. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. He, he's basically saying to the Pharisees, look, you're looking for the wrong things in the wrong way. Okay, if you're focused on the physical aspects of the kingdom of God, and if that's all you're focused on, you're never going to really understand the kingdom at all. You're never going to be able to see it. It's kind of like, do you remember, uh, I think back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Magic Eye posters. Remember these? These were everywhere. Every doctor's office, every... They were basically two-dimensional images like this and put in them was a three-dimensional object. And so you would look at it and the people who couldn't see it, it frustrated you to no end, right? You just look, it's all squiggles. But the people who can see it, like there you would see a shark. There's a shark in there, right? You have to, and, and we'd say to the people who can't see, you gotta cross your eyes, kinda gotta look past it and it'll, it'll snap into focus. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, it's the same kind of thing. It, you have to take it off. Everyone's gonna be totally distracted. Just take it down. <laughs> Okay, it's, trust me, it's a shark, okay? I don't know if it works up there, but I, and I looked at it for a long time. It's a shark. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees, see, you, if you could see properly, 
then the kingdom of God would snap into focus. But you're, you're focused on the external forms of, the, of kingdoms, right? You're, you're looking for flags and thrones and fortified cities. What you're, you're missing the spiritual dimensions of the kingdom of God. They're going on right in front of you. And the truth is that the spiritual side of God's kingdom is far more significant, far more powerful than the physical side. In fact, the whole ministry of Jesus, what he was doing here on earth was him exerting spiritual power from the kingdom on the physical weaknesses of the world to reveal the glory of God. And if you look clearly, you may have noticed this, that in all of the miracles that Jesus does, the focus, it's always a spiritual focus, even though there's something physical going on. So here's one example. A very well-known miracle of Jesus. There's a group of uh, friends. One of their friends is paralyzed and they, they can't get to Jesus. So they dig a hole in the roof. They lower their friend down on a mat. He's paralyzed. And Jesus sees them and, and look at his response. Listen to the spiritual language of what Jesus is talking about. This is Luke 5, 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. So there was a physical healing that happened. But what Jesus is saying is that the whole purpose of this is that you would understand the spiritual dimensions of what's going on. The spiritual power that is present in God's kingdom. And Jesus is the source of that power. So when he says to the Pharisees, look, the kingdom is in your midst. He means through me right now, the kingdom of God is being revealed in ways much more significant, much more powerful than an army or than soldiers, but you're missing it. You, you, you can't see it. You're looking for the wrong things. You're looking in the wrong way. All you're interested in is, is the physical aspects of the kingdom because they wanted a kingdom like back in the time of King David. That was their hope that Rome would be conquered, that they would install a new king, that they would have on this earth another earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom so it would be more powerful. That's what they thought would be the best. And what Jesus is saying is that that's not the best. That's not what God thinks is the best. His kingdom far surpasses the kingdoms of this world. And if all you're thinking about is another kingdom of this world, you're missing what God wants to do because when God promised his people a kingdom, he promised them a kingdom that would never pass away. He didn't promise them just another kingdom. In fact, he makes it really clear it'll be a different kind of kingdom. So we're gonna pop back into the Old Testament there's a few places where this is described, but Daniel is one of them. Uh, prophet Daniel, uh, living in exile, the, the, David's kingdom, all, it all fell apart. They got conquered. So now he's uh, working for a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. But God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And it basically, it's a dream about the kingdoms of the world that are to come. It's like this big statue made of all different materials. And this heavenly hand takes a stone and smashes the statue. It all falls apart. And Daniel says, look, that's because another kingdom is coming, a better kingdom. Look, look here at what he says. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. 
It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, these earthly kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke the pieces of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. What the dream is saying is that even the strongest and most precious materials on earth cannot be formed into a kingdom that will last. They will all fall away. But God uses materials that will never fall away because his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and it begins its rule in the human heart and he binds us to himself by faith in the cross of Jesus. So first and foremost, it has a spiritual power and from that beginning, all things are possible for the people of God under the rule of God. Because the impact of God's true kingdom is limitless. The kingdoms of this world, they can't destroy it. They can't wreck it. The powers of the world are nothing compared to this, this heavenly kingdom. And to be part of this kingdom means that even though we live in the kingdoms of this world, we still experience the peace and comfort and joy of God's kingdom. That's how it begins. That's why it's difficult to see because it doesn't have material uh, manifestations yet. Now, if you're new to the church, uh, you may be thinking at this point, look, this sounds kind of airy-fairy, frankly, right? I mean, you're talking about a spiritual kingdom that we can't really see that, you know, is in our hearts, that kind of binds us. To, I mean, how, how exactly is this helpful? Why would this be hopeful for a group of people living here in Canada or any part of the world? And so for that, I want to give you an example of the effects of the kingdom of God. I'm going to draw your attention to a, a book. It's a great book. Uh, called God is Red. I think we'll put a picture up. Uh, the subtitle is The Secret Story of How Christianity Survived and Flourished in Communist China. Uh, so it's written by a Chinese journalist who basically interviewed uh, people who were Christians uh, living in the communist regime. I know it's still going on, but sort of back in the day. And uh, there's one man in particular, his name is Li Lin Shan, who he just tells his story. He was a committed communist, uh, atheist, but found himself with circumstances of life where he, he had no hope. His children got sick. Many of them passed away. He got sick. He had cancer. And he found himself utterly hopeless in life. But there was a man in his town. His name was Brother Yang. He was a Christian. And he kept coming and talking to Lee about, about faith. Right? He, kept, he kept saying to him, look, you need faith, Lee. No, nothing else is going to help you. You're, you don't have money for the treatment for cancer. You're going to die. Put your hope in, in Jesus. And so here's the response that Lee made. I'm just going to read a little bit. Lee says, I didn't take him seriously. He visited me many times and would say things like, old Lee, with your current condition, having faith in God is your only way out. The hospital can't help you. Your relatives are helpless. The government can't help you. For ordinary people like us, especially poor people, we have to have some spiritual support and faith. You are on the verge of death. So why are you hesitating? Give yourself over to God. Here's Lee's response. At that, he said, tears welled in my eyes. To tell the truth, I was a pathetic living ghost. But I had been quite snobbish, worrying about being corrupted, of getting bad luck from others. But God reached out to me again and again through Brother Yang. So I said loud and clear, God, take me. Brother Yang said a prayer of deliverance for me on the spot. The hustle and bustle of the street remained the same. The sun continued to shine on the city. The tiles stayed on the roof. The birds perched on them, chirping away as they always do. Nature continued its way. I was the one who changed. 
I followed Brother Yang, clutching both my hands in front of my chest, tears streaming down like raindrops. I tell you, I wasn't overcome with grief. I felt grateful. For the first time in my life, I didn't think about myself or about human beings. I was thinking about God, who's above us, above all living things, above the highest mountain. My parents gave birth to me, but God gave me life. I didn't know that before. Cancer helped enlighten me, giving wings to my heart, which had been downtrodden in the mud and made it fly and feel the bliss of heaven. I thought that last line connected to what we're talking about this morning. That here was a man under the weight of the, the communist, the kingdom of the communist. That, that for much of his life he'd been told there isn't anything beyond the material world and yet he realized the hopelessness, hopelessness of it. God opened his eyes and all of a sudden everything changed. You see the dynamic? There was a time where he could not see the fact that the kingdom of God was present on earth. And that's true of many of us. Right? You might have been told by someone. You may be here because you're exploring it but we can't see it. But for Lee Lin Shan, notice he had to be shown the kingdom. How? Someone explaining it to him? But most importantly, the spirit of God opening his eyes. Him humbling himself, asking God to take him. And in that moment, his eyes were open. Not his physical eyes, the spiritual eyes of his heart to see what was actually going on around him. And at that moment, even though nothing changed, everything changed. See, that is the power of the kingdom of God that his rule over our hearts actually affects our understanding of the world, our perception of ourselves. So if you find yourself struggling in this world under the, the kingdoms that are all around us, that you find yourself with hope that is not there, in despair, looking for some answers that are not there, what the Bible says, what Jesus is saying here in this passage is that there is a kingdom. It's in your midst. What you need to ask for is for the spirit of God to open your, your eyes and your heart to see the truth. And when that happens, things actually change. It's not just words. It's not just mind over matter. It's that God actually is opening our eyes and heart to see that he rules even now, that we can be his people even now, that this place, this world that he made, it actually does bear marks of the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it's real and it's here. However, it's not yet complete Okay, the very fact that cancer exists should tell us that the rule of God is not actually being felt in every corner of human existence. But it's coming. It's just a matter of time. So this is the second thing. Firstly, the kingdom of God is here. But secondly, the kingdom of God is coming still. Here's the next section. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So notice here he's not talking to the Pharisees anymore. They can't even see the kingdom. Not, not much point giving them more details. He turns to his disciples back then and, and for us today. And he says, look, first I need to suffer. Right? He's talking about the cross. But then he knows something that they don't. He knows He's going to rise from the dead and he's going to go back up to heaven. So there's going to be a time coming soon for them when he's not around anymore. And so he's saying to look, the days are coming when you will desire to see the days of the son of man, meaning you're going to want to see me again. You're going to want to live in the days like right now when the kingdom of God is being revealed, all the miracles, all the healings, you're going to want all that again, but there's going to be a time when you're longing for it. We know that time. 
We're living in this time. We also are waiting for the day when Jesus will return, when all of the heartaches, all of the brokenness will be restored, will be healed. And so Jesus gives some instructions about how we should wait. He said, you're going to be waiting. I'm going to come back. But in the meantime, there's two things that we see here. One is he says, look, you need to be careful while you wait. Okay, he says, be careful of those quote-unquote experts who are going to tell you the kingdom is here, right? In the text there, it's, they say, look here, or look there, it's coming. Jesus says, don't go and follow them. What does he mean? He means there's going to be lots of people, there have been lots of people who've said, look, we know when the kingdom of God is coming. We know when Jesus will return. We know when the end of this world will come. Sometimes they, they give dates or prophecies. Sometimes they do long YouTube you know, videos telling you exactly where you have to look to see when it is coming. And Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't follow them. They will deceive you. Why? Because Jesus says really clearly in the book of Matthew, look, no one knows the day or the hour that the kingdom will come. Okay, only God the Father knows. So if there's someone telling you they know, they don't know. They're, they're deceiving you. The other reason is that Jesus says here in this text, look, you, know what, you want to know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like lightning covering the entire sky. Just in case you're worried, you're not going to miss it, okay? When the kingdom comes, you're not going to be like on Snapchat and be like, what, what happened? I have to, did someone, what's going on? You won't be caught unawares. At that time, a lightning storm, everyone knew what was going on. Whatever it is, it's going to be grand it's going to be something that everyone immediately knows what is going on the world over. You don't have to worry that you're going to miss it. The other reason we should be careful about those who are kind of pointing, look, the kingdom's coming here, is because we can get caught up in that kind of thing. And if we get caught up in that kind of thing, probably we're shortchanging the stuff that Jesus actually told us to do while he was gone, right? Go and make disciples, baptize, tell people about Jesus. That's what we should be doing while we're waiting, we don't need to be, you know, combing through the newspaper to try to figure out when exactly it will happen. So we need to be careful, but he does say we need to be ready. In fact, in the next section, he gives two examples of groups of people who were not ready when God was doing something and it cost them dearly. So here's verse 26. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the son of man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So two examples of judgment from God against sin on earth. God destroyed the earth with a flood in the time of Noah. God destroyed the city of Sodom with fire in the time of Lot. The point that Jesus is making is that no one was ready for this judgment. Even though there were warning signs, no one paid attention to them. He says in the time of Noah, what were people doing? They were eating, drinking, going about their lives. When over there, there was a guy building a giant boat on dry land. And no one really had the heart or interest to go and talk to him and say, why are you doing this? Could you explain to us what's coming? They weren't interested. And so when the rains came, the flood came, they were surprised, even though there was this giant sign saying, hey, God is doing something. Same thing with the city of Sodom. In that case, it was, it was almost worse because the angel of the Lord came to rescue Lot and his family. The people of the town wanted to abuse them. And Lot said to them, look, stop doing these wicked things. They made them angrier. They had no interest in what God might be doing. And so they were caught totally unaware when the, when the fire started falling from the sky. 
What Jesus is saying is, look, we don't want to be caught in that kind of a situation. We, we need to be ready. But listen to me, not ready like we know the 16 world events that tell us the identity of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Not that kind of ready. Ready, ready like we're ready for the judgment that is coming. Ready in that we have an answer for the sin within our own hearts. And Jesus says that's essential because when the kingdom comes, it will be the beginning of an eternal state. So here's our, our third thing about the kingdom. The kingdom of God brings an eternal division. Verse 31, this is the last chunk of our text. He says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, one will, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We've had that on our wall for like three months. What does that mean? Where is that in the Bible? It is. Here it is. So what does it mean? Well, he's talking about a particular day. On that day. When the Bible says on that day, it's talking about the end of this age and the beginning of the eternal age. So back then, Jesus was still with them. He went to the cross. He died, rose again, went back up to heaven. The church age began. We're still in it. And everyone is looking forward to the time when Jesus will return. And when he does, there will be an eternal division, is what he's saying. Humanity will be divided into two groups of people, the judged and the saved. You can, see, you can see the division in the text. It said there were two in a bed. One was taken, one was left. Two women grinding. One was taken, one was left. You might have a note in your Bible. <clears throat> There's another verse, verse 36. Two men in a field. One was taken, one was left. Some would see this as, uh, as the rapture of the church, is how some would explain this. But we should note that this is not an in-between step before the kingdom comes. This is the coming of the kingdom. This is the day when everyone's fate is sealed. Jesus makes this clear because at the beginning of that section, he says, look, there's people who are doing something and they, they can't go back. One's on a roof, one's on a field. They, they can't turn back and change what they're doing. Everything's sealed, everything's done. The most heart-wrenching verse, though, is the shortest verse. Verse 32 just said, remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? Do you remember what happened with her? The city of Sodom was coming under the judgment of God. Lot's family was being rescued by God. The angel of the Lord said, look, there's a city out there near, near this city. This is going to be judged. Run to that city. Don't look back. Just run. Find that city. You will be safe. And Lot's wife was with the others, running to safety, on her way to safety. But instead of being grateful to God for the rescue, she looked back longingly at all the things she was leaving behind. Her friends, her stuff, all her comforts. And in that moment, she was judged by God. She was turned immediately into a pillar of salt. Why? Because in that moment, her heart was revealed. She didn't love God. She didn't trust God. She loved the things in her life. And Jesus is saying, look, remember her. Remember, because that's what will happen in the end. Everything will be revealed. Everything, our, ourselves, the innermost parts of our being, all the layers will be peeled back. 
we'll see very clearly the, the disconnect between the good things we do and the false motivations we have for doing them. We'll see our empty prayers. We'll see all the things we do to try to make ourselves look good and ignoring the sin within us. We'll see all of that. All of that will be revealed to answer one key question. One key question. Are we spiritually dead or are we spiritually alive? That's the question. Are we, are we still dead in our sin or are we alive in Christ? See, that's, that's the thing about the vultures. That's what he was talking about. See, vultures, when you see vultures circling, you know what's below. There's, there's someone already dead or close to death. There, there's rotting flesh there. See, look at the question the disciples had. Uh, put the last verse back up there. The disciples, after hearing all of um, these things about judgment, He's talking about the end of the world. You can imagine their anxiety level rising and rising. So look at their question. There's all this judgment coming. What do they ask? Uh, Jesus, where is that going to be? Because we'd like to be somewhere else. If you could just tell us where this judgment is falling, uh, we, we want to know that because then we can go somewhere else. And what's his response? Look, you, you can't escape it. Okay, you can't escape it because just like vultures are drawn to a corpse in the desert, the forces of God's judgment are drawn to those who are in sin. You can't escape Judgment will be served because we have a just God. He's creating a holy kingdom where all sin will be purged from it. All sinners will not be allowed into it apart from the redeeming work of the Savior. And this judgment will happen not for a moment. It's not a momentary judgment. It has lasting effects, eternal effects. So he's saying, look, we, we need to wake up so that we don't deceive ourselves like Lot's wife. We need to examine our hearts right now because the day is coming when it'll be too late, when nothing will be hidden, everything will be revealed. So I got one more story for you about a man whose heart was revealed in a similar kind of situation. Okay, this is a man, his name was uh, Mike McFarlane. He lives in Hawaii, okay? He lives right near Pearl Harbor. Now, if you remember uh, back in 2018, Everyone in Hawaii uh, received a text message on their phone. It was an alert. Remember what the alert said? Incoming ballistic missile is what the alert said. It was, it was from the official notification system. It said there's an incoming nuclear missile. Take shelter. This is not a drill. Mike got that on his phone, looked out, realized he was basically next to a U.S. Army base. Turned on the TV, same thing. Notifications everywhere. Take shelter. This is not a drill. And so he said to himself, I have 15 minutes to live. Uh, so first thing he did, went out and got his cat, brought her inside. Not sure why. Wouldn't really help. Uh, then he went and found, he found some whiskey. He toasted his grandpa, got in his bathtub, apparently thought that would help. And he sat there in his bathtub and he said that um, his life was just kind of rushing, you know, past his eyes. All the things he had done, the things he was proud of, the things he was sorry about. And there was one person that came to his mind. Her name was Lynn. Uh, Lynn had been his girlfriend. Uh, six months prior, they had broken up. They'd been together for about a year. Before that, the breakup had not been good. It had been kind of messy and left him feeling unsettled. And so he thought to himself, I, I need to text Lynn. I just feel like I need to text her and tell her how much she meant to me. So here's the exact text message that Mike wrote in his bathtub. He said, Lynn, I just got word that a nuclear missile is on its way to Honolulu. I'm not sure where you are or if you'll even read this, but I thought of you. I wanted to let you know that looking back, you were the love of my life. If it is in fact over in the next few minutes, thank you 
for the time we spent together. And then he sat back in the bathtub and waited for the missile to hit. He waited 15 minutes, waited half an hour, and as you know, it didn't come because it was a mistake. The people who did the system, I don't know what they did, but they hit two buttons they shouldn't have hit, and it was a false alarm. So Mike got up. He was very excited. I'm alive. I'm alive. But then he remembered, oh, the text message. I just sent Lynn this text message. He's like, what is she going to say? So Lynn uh, got the message a couple hours later. She was in, uh, on the, in the airport in a plane that was about to take off. It was a whole thing. So she didn't read it until she got home, but she was interested. And she called him up. And they got back together for a time. I wish the story ended with them getting married, but it doesn't. Okay, I'm sorry. It's not that kind of a story. But the key, here's the key to the story. The key is this question. Okay, the interviewer asked Mike this. He said, do you think that you would have ever sent a message like that to Lynn except for the threat of an incoming nuclear attack. And Mike said, uh, you know what, absolutely not. I would never have sent that text message. There's something about the, the end that I felt I needed to send it. But listen to this, he said, I wish, I wish going forward that there was a way for everybody to plug into that moment where you've got 15 minutes to truly fix everything before the end. I don't, I don't know that Mike is a religious man. I don't know that he was speaking about eternal things or things of faith. But I thought to myself, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here in this text. In fact, all over the Bible is what it says, is that there is an end coming. But the difference here is that we're not, we're not going to get a notification on our phone 15 minutes before God's kingdom comes. Okay, this is the 15 minutes. If you're wondering, there has been warning. It's here in the word of God. He put it there so that we would examine our hearts so that we would cast our mind ahead to the day when it's all over. We'd think, what is going to be revealed about us? What do I need to attend to right now? See, there are many who think that they've got lots of time left. There's people I talk to. There's one guy who gathers with us very often, not a, not a believer, and he'll, we message sometimes back and forth, and he always says, Matt, I got time. I got time, Matt. It's not closing time yet. I got some time to figure things out. And what I say back to him is, yeah, how do you know that you do? I and mean, we don't know. We don't know until it's the end. And when it's the end, it'll be too late. Jesus says, not just for dramatic effect, the vultures are gathering. We need to decide about faith and life and, life and hope, and that time is now. He says in verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life, he means his life on earth. Like just thinking in earthly terms, kind of like the Pharisees were thinking, just the physical things of this world. If you're thinking like Lot's wife about all the things that you delight in, that you treasure, if that's your focus, you're going to lose it. Because when the end comes, that's all you had. In eternity, now you're under the judgment of God. But whoever loses his life in Christ will gain that life forever. Because we will get what we don't deserve, which is mercy and grace and entire kingdom open to us. Honestly, I don't know how much clearer uh, Jesus could make it for us. He says to us over and over again, I love you. I'm for you. I want for you to experience all that God intended from the very beginning. I, I, I died for you so that you have an answer to your sin so that on that day you would be ready. You don't have to be, try to be satisfied with this short, pitiable existence. There is an entire kingdom waiting for you. You can experience it even now, even now before it comes with your eyes open to the truth that you are loved, you have a purpose, even in the trying times of life. And you have the hope of everything that will come once that door is opened. So my hope for us, as we gather here, that if you are not a person of faith, that, 
that the Spirit of God would be opening your eyes to see the truth, that there is an answer, that there is a hope you can have today. And for those of us who have that hope, may we rejoice in it. May we have the assurance and understanding that we are even now in the kingdom and it should change the way we see everything else in the world. Let me pray that for us as we close. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are our king and yet you're also our savior. That your desire is for us to live as your people in the place that you have made perfect under your rule and that you begin that even now. What an amazing thing that that instead of just starting another kingdom like the kingdoms of this world, you begin something new in us. Lord, would you help each of us to know that truth? I pray in particular for for those of us that know you as Savior and Lord, but but it's a struggle right now. Like that man, Lin Shan, who who had many hardships in his life and, and few reasons for hope, would you help us to see the hope that we do have in you, a greater hope that surpasses everything of this world and brings a peace that is rooted in you. I pray that for us, please. I pray that for those that are struggling. And I pray in particular for for those that wouldn't call themselves people of faith that maybe are, are considering this. Please, Holy Spirit, do a good work in their hearts today. Today is a great day to come to faith, to see that you are the true king and the true savior of the world. And so I pray, Lord, that, that this truth would indeed encourage us and motivate us to spend our time wisely. We don't know how, how long this 15 minutes is gonna last, Lord, so please help us as a church to be effective as we begin this ministry year, as we go about our, our, our weeks and lives, may it not just be like the people in the time of Noah or the time of Lot. May we do it in light of your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.